0: Well, i tell you what, I'm loving our Comeback series, and I talk to a lot of people that talk about comebacks in their own life and how important it is to be able to see how God brings someone back from a setback, how God brings someone into a a comeback season after having been away from the Lord for a while or away from serving Him or away from being in His will. And uh, today is one of the most important messages I could bring you today called Comeback from Sin. So if you have you take your Bibles, Uh, Please take them and turn to Psalm chapter 51 today. Psalm chapter 51. And uh, before I ask you to stand and before we read this, let me just say that over the next few weeks, you'll hear more and more about a term that we've used today a couple of times, kingdom conversation. say, well, what is a kingdom conversation? A kingdom conversation is where you're in conversation with someone uh, wherever you are in your daily life, at work or at school. Uh, maybe in your neighborhood or with friends or relatives in a local area, and you introduce the idea of the good news of Jesus Christ. Or you invite someone to come to church with you where we're in this comeback series and whatever series we're in, so that they might hear about the good news of Christ. It's a kingdom conversation because most of us are living on the level of just an earthly kingdom and there's a whole nother story, a whole different picture that people need to hear about. Only God is the answer to people's problems. Only the Bible has the truth that people need to hear about. And so Kingdom Conversations are introducing them to that. Wherever you go, I want you to think about the way to have a Kingdom Conversation with someone, inviting them to Cross City Church or telling them about the Gospel of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bibles, please we'll stand. Psalm chapter 51. And uh, an incredible story is behind the psalm because the psalm was written by David the king. The psalmist, the, uh, David, but David the king as well. Here's some background to the story before you read Psalm chapter 51. Most of us know David as a man after God's own heart. And often in his early days, he was an exemplary leader, an exemplary servant. This is the man that killed Goliath with the stones, if you remember, and anointed king over Israel by the prophet. But this man, even though he had a heart for God, uh, did enter into a season of what he thought was secret sin. David must have thought when he was having his secret affair, his secret sinful affair with Bathsheba, who can find out about Bathsheba? I mean, after all, I'm the king. I'm able to cover my tracks. I can do what I want to do. But the story of David's sin against Bathsheba and about God is a well-known story of everything bad happening that could happen as a result of that sin. They have sex. She gets pregnant. David calls her husband Uriah in from the front lines of war hoping that her husband will sleep with her and that way cover his sin that way and her pregnancy would then be blamed on her own husband. But Uriah is too honorable of a, of a warrior to go back to war with the soldiers there, so he sleeps at the front door of David's palace. So David eventually sends him to the front lines again and sets it up so that Uriah takes the brunt of the attack and literally dies on that battlefield. God reveals all this to Nathan the prophet who confronts David with the sin, And as they say, well, that went well. That's our expression today of saying, nothing went well in that story at all. It never does go well. And now, a year later, David is finally confessing his sin. He's come to his senses, he's been exposed by Nathan, and he's coming to God, and these are his words, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 tells us how to come back from sin. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. Against you and you only I have sinned and done what is evil in your sight, so that you are justified when you speak and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the innermost being, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Make me hear the joy and gladness. Let the bones which you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and sustain me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will be converted to you. Verse 14. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, the God of my salvation. Then my tongue will joyfully sing of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips that my mouth may declare your praise. For you do not delight in sacrifice, otherwise I would give it. You're not pleased with burnt offerings. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. Oh God, ye will not despise. What a confession. What a time of coming back to God from sin. Father, in Jesus' name, my prayer is that you will teach us from David's confession. Teach us from this psalm and others that help us to know all we need to know about coming back from sin. And Father, help make this personal for every single one of us, for all of us have sinned and fall short. And God, I ask you today, speak to us by the power of your Holy Spirit. We ask this all together in Jesus' name. Our God's people again said, amen. Amen. Please be seated. What an incredible story. But this incredible story has a large number of lessons in it today. We're going to cover some of those at a high level, and then we're going to dig into Psalm 51. By the time we get through with Psalm 51, you're going to know everything you know about coming back from sin. Everything you need to know right now, right here, to come back from a season of sin or a period of sin or some separation between God and yourself, you're going to know how to come back to the life of David. But first, some some high-level lessons. First of all, sin is always a setback. Sin is always, always a setback. Never do we choose sin and move forward. Never do we choose sin and get closer to God. Sin, no matter what kind of sin it is, grieves God's heart. It sets up a wall between ourselves and God. It is always, always a setback. Secondly, Another high-level lesson is sin is never a secret. Never a secret, no matter how much power you have, no matter how good you are at covering your track, even if you keep it secret from someone uh, on the same level of you uh, as some area where you live, your home, your friends. No matter what, God always knows our sin. Sin is never, ever a secret. And you certainly see that in the life of David. Thirdly, and most encouragingly, is this lesson. Sin is not The end. Somebody say that with me. Sin is not the end. Aren't you glad that sin is not the end? It's not the last thing that we hear about. It's not the end of the game. It's not the end of life. Sin is not the end. There is an answer for sin, there is an antidote for sin. Sin is not the end. You see this in the life of David. But in David's life, you see also a picture we get in the New Testament this picture of the prodigal son. You know the story of the son who felt very entitled to his father's money, his riches. So he said, Give me what's mine. He demanded that from his father, and so his father gave him that. The son went off and spent all of his money in riotous living. What an incredible parable Jesus was telling Luke chapter 15 about this son. And so after this son lives and spends all of this money, he finds himself in a really bad situation, bad circumstance, no support, no, no place to even feed himself and to eat. And the Bible says he comes to himself and he says to himself, I'm worse off now than one of my father's servants. So I'm going to go back to my father and say, Father, I've, I've sinned. I've done wrong against you. Please receive me back. And I'm not deserving to be your son, but I'll come back as your servant. But as that son comes to his home, Jesus paints the parable in the story of a father waiting for the son to come back. What a powerful picture that we also see in the life of David in literally every person's life. So what do we need to know about coming back from sin? Based on David's life, based on Psalm 51, based on the message of the Bible, what do we need to know? Three things today. That Psalm 51 teaches us that I want you to carry away with you. I want you to put this in your mind. I want this to be cemented and branded on your heart because no matter what happens in life, no matter what choices you make, how far away from God you get, these lessons will help you find your way back to God. Number one, the first thing we need to know about coming back from sin is the willingness of God. The willingness of God. That's where this Psalm begins. David is coming to God, acknowledging God's willingness to forgive his ability to forgive, and his heart to forgive. So we open it up with Psalm chapter 51, and I want you to look at verse 1. Be gracious to me, O God, according to your loving kindness, according to the greatness of your compassion, blot out my transgressions. Now, there's a lot of things to note about this text, but one of the most important things is where David goes to have his sin removed. He doesn't go first to the temple. He doesn't go first to the priest. He doesn't go to anyone else but to God. You need to know today that removal of sin is not a religious function. It's a relational function. Removal of sin, removal of evil or wickedness that we have done against someone else means that we go directly to God. And David comes directly to God. He appeals to God on the basis of his merciful and generous and kind character. He's not looking to self-atone. He's not looking to somehow pay some penance for his sin or somehow make it up. But he comes right to God. When he gets to that place in his heart and his life where he's ready to come back, he comes right to God and begins to appeal to God. And he appeals to God's character. Isn't it helpful to know that the Bible from Genesis to Revelation reveals the character of God so we can know who He is? While God works sometimes in mysterious ways, God reveals Himself in some very plain ways as well. For example, in the Bible, God shows us that He is a God of justice and a God of holiness, a God who is separate and alone. In other words, there's no one like our God. He's unique and He's holy in every way. He's a just judge. He won't let the guilty go unpunished. But at the same time, the Bible paints the other side of the character of God as being loving and merciful, a God who has passion and compassion on those who come to Him. So David understands something about the character of God, just like we need to know something about the character of God. He knows he sinned against God, but he also knows that God could be gracious to him. Whenever David prays and whenever David writes a psalm, he's writing these kinds of words. Loving kindness, for example. That talks about the goodness and kindness of God. But the word compassion is what grips my heart. This word compassion in the original language deals with an innermost being, an innermost feeling in your heart. Literally, it's sometimes translated bowels or the tender love of a father or a mother. A couple of times in the Hebrew it's, it's even translated womb. Have you ever known a mom? to give birth to a child who did not love that child, who did not want to draw that child to itself, who, who would not do everything and anything that she could do for that child. The kind of idea behind this word for compassionate God is like that. We are His creation. He loves us so much because we are his creation. We're not just like any other animal on planet Earth. We are the creation of God, created in his image. He has incredible love for us, incredible compassion, incredible kindness and patience with us. And aren't we glad that he does? In the book of Romans, which is a book of of theology, but the first part of Romans deals with the justice of God and the judgment of God for unconfessed sin. But in chapter 2, verse 4, there's a verse that's so important to us that helps us know something about the character of God. Paul writes, Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and the tolerance and patience of God, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? Ultimately, what moves me back to God is his kindness, his love, the fact that he's poured himself out for me, the fact that he has made himself available to me. It keeps moving me back to God. Even when I've sinned, even when I've done something wrong, even when there's a distance between myself and God, it's the kindness and the goodness of God that keeps me coming back to him. When I was growing up, I had two ideal parents, a mom and a dad who were great parents. Now, when I was 14 and 15 years of age, if you'd asked me how good of parents I had, I might not have said that they were great parents because I saw the justice of God and the justice of my parents in their lives, and I saw the mercy of my parents in their lives. At the same time, I saw two different things, and I wasn't really enamored with my dad when his justice thundered, right? Uh, But I was really happy when he showed me his mercy. But there's one thing that I knew no matter what happened in my life, no matter how how badly I had defamed the family name or how far I'd gotten from what they wanted me to do, no matter how, how far I'd wandered off. I knew when I came back to my mom and dad, they might be displeased, but they would open their arms up and they would demonstrate mercy and love and they would draw me back to themselves. I knew that, I knew that with every fiber of my being and that's why I kept coming back to them because I knew their kindness and their mercy. And I wasn't really playing on their mercy. I wasn't trying to take advantage of that. But it was because I was their child. Because they gave birth to me. Because they gave their life for me. And they loved me that way. Let me just tell you in the same way. Those imperfect parents demonstrated that to me. God loves you. is deeply committed to you. You are His creation. You're created in His image. And He will show compassion to you when you come back to Him. Sometimes people tell me, you know, I can't ever come back to God because God is so far from where I am. He's so far removed from me, but but God knows everything about you. He knows your need, and he's waiting for you to come back, just like the father in the parable of Jesus, the prodigal son. Come back to him because of the mercy of God. So David begins, even though his sin was great, I mean, we're talking adultery that turns into literally murder, We're talking about a king who's been given an incredible responsibility, violating that responsibility, alienating himself from God, and yet he knows to come back because of the willingness of God to forgive. I look around this room today. I've been in this place long enough, 13 years long enough, to get to know some stories in this room. And one of the greatest things about being a pastor is to get to know people's stories. Some of the greatest stories that I have heard are people that have been far, far from God, who came back to God, and God wrapped them up, forgave them, cleansed them, got them started on a brand new path. And today, they talk about the goodness of God, and the love of God, and the mercy of God, because they themselves have been restored. That's real stuff, folks. That's real mercy. That real forgiveness is there. So David comes, first of all, to understand and to express the willingness of God. The second thing you need to understand about coming back from sin is the tragedy of sin. Until we understand sin's tragedy, we don't understand the need to come back to God. So David expresses that in verse 3 and following. He says, for I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. This could be an understatement. My sin is ever before before me. You and I live in a culture where we've been taught to redefine sin. We've been taught that sin is only uh, something that is a rule or a guideline that's laid down that doesn't understand the context. We've been taught that if something is pleasurable, it can't be wrong. We've been taught that it feels good. It can't be wicked. It can't be evil. But what we need to understand is sometimes pleasurable things are sinful things. They're wicked things. They're evil things, as in the case of David. We've been taught that if it feels good, we shouldn't have to to talk to anybody else about it. It should have no consequences at all. The sin is only easy. It's only pleasurable. It's only choosing what I want for myself. And it doesn't have a backstory. It doesn't have any bad news associated with it. But if you read the life of David, you'll see all kinds of bad Things came into his life because of sin. And that's true of all of us. If we knew what David had gone through completely, if we knew the tragedy of sin in his life, it would cause us to back away from the possibility of sin at every opportunity. So notice what he says here in these verses, verse three. I know my transgressions and my sin is ever before me. By this time, by the time of this Psalm and the writing of it, a full year had passed from his sin until the time that Nathan has confronted him and the child died. He and Bathsheba had a child together, but that child died as a judgment of God. And it was ever before him. His life was suddenly far, far from where he thought he would be. He had the favor of God. He was a king to be. He was anointed by the Lord. He was called out from being a shepherd in the wilderness, and, and God called him out and placed him in a great place, a great position, and yet he threw all that away for sin. And now it's ever before him. It's just a thing that he always thinks about all the time when he lays his head down. He thinks about his sin. When he rises up the next day, he thinks about that sin. When he looks at the tragic consequences around his life, he thinks about the tragedy of sin. If I'm Considering serious sin. If you're considering serious sin, we need to read David's description of what that looks like. So if you have your Bibles, I want you to open up to Psalm 38 now. We're gonna stay in Psalms almost all day. So Psalm 38 at this moment. Psalm 38 is another Psalm where David is describing sin in his life, presumably this sin. And look at what he says in these verses. I'll just read them one verse at a time. O oh Lord, rebuke me not in your wrath and chasten me not in your burning anger. For your arrows have sunk deep into me and your hand has pressed down on me. There's no soundness in my flesh because of your indignation. There's no health in my bones because of my sin, for my iniquities are gone over my head. As a heavy burden, they weigh too much for me. My wounds grow foul and fester because of my folly. I'm bent over and greatly bowed down. I go mourning all day long, for my loins are filled with burning and there's no sadness in my flesh. I am benumbed and badly crushed. I groan because of the agitation of my heart." It's a study in anguish. It's a study of regret. God, I've done something so wrong that I've alienated myself from you and from others, and now this sin is ever before me. In Psalm 38 and Psalm 32, you see a description of even physical malady because of unconfessed sin in a person's life. It might surprise you to know that over the years in casting and in ministry, there have been a number of people that I've talked to who have had physical ailments, serious physical problems, that no doctor could help them with. But as they work through issues in their lives and as they come to places of seeking forgiveness and granting forgiveness, all of a sudden those illnesses, those maladies went away because the burden of sin was removed and the burden of unconfessed sin before God was taken away. It's really amazing that sin impacts us in so many different ways. The tragedy of sin must be understood for us to want to rid ourselves of it. What's true Over the years, you've heard over and over, sin will always take you further than you intended to go, keep you longer than you intended to say, and cost you more than you ever wanted to pay. That's so true of sin. The second thing he says here is, against you, you only, I have sinned. That's in verse four. David loved God. He didn't set out to sin, but sin trapped him, and he gave in to temptation. And he was made aware throughout that sin, that he could fool other people. He could try to cover his sin, but he could never hide that sin from God. And so David makes this declaration that everybody needs to understand, against you and you only, I have sinned. David's not saying, I haven't hurt others. He said, the principal problem of my sin is that I sinned against you. That's an incredible moment of realization for all of us. In fact, if we don't realize that, we really don't realize the penalty of sin. Sin is not just choosing the wrong way to go. And maybe we ought to linger on this for just a minute because sin is really a set of decisions that we participate in where we move ourselves further and further away from God. Consider James chapter 1, verse 13, where James is talking about temptation and sin. And in the story of David and Bathsheba, we know he saw her while on the rooftop. She was bathing. Obviously, he was tempted. Obviously, he began to look. He began to long for her, and eventually he invited her to his palace, and there the sin took place. But the Bible says in James 1, 13, let no one say when he's tempted, I'm being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, he himself does not tempt anyone. Verse 14, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. You and I need to know when we deal with sin, the tragedy of sin, we need to understand what happens before we actually sin. Temptation isn't the sin. Temptation is all around us. We'll always have opportunity to see things and to think about things that we don't participate in. But it's that second look, where we start looking, where we start lingering, where we start longing for something that we're not to have, where we start leaning towards that sin. That's what caused David to eventually leap into that sin. So thought by thought, moment by moment, decision by decision brought him to that place where he said, I can get away with this. And this is the ultimate affront to God. To know his character, that he's holy and just, that he's merciful and full of compassion and still sin. To know his character, to know the opportunities he's placed on us and still sin. John Bunyan wrote something about 150 years ago about sin and the character of God. Here's what it says. Sin is the dare of God's judgment, the rape of his mercy, the jeer of his patience, the slight of his power, and the contempt of his love. David knew everything he needed to know about God's character, and yet in spite of God's goodness and God's favor, in spite of God's justice, he did what he did anyway because he elevated himself above God. So David is now confessing, and he's saying against you and you alone, I have sinned. Incidentally, when I talk to someone in a counseling context, and I ask them who their sin hurt, who their sin offended, I wait for an answer. And if they only say that my sin hurt, someone on a horizontal level, some other person, some other individual, some relationship, and they don't begin to refer to the fact that my sin also hurt my relationship with God, That I don't think they're ready really to turn from that sin until they know that. When I share the gospel with little children, and they talk about breaking one of God's commandments or disobeying mom and dad, It's not until they realize that I've also offended God, I've also disobeyed God, that they're ready to really receive the gospel of Jesus in their heart and lives. So parents, keep your ears open, your eyes open for a child's recognition of sin, not only destroying a horizontal relationship, but also a vertical relationship. David said, against you and you only, I have sinned. And then in verse 5, he says something else. He says, in sin, my mother conceived me. This is one of those interesting lines in the scripture that's so important, packed with theology. For example, this line does not talk about the fact that David's mom conceived him in either a legitimate or illegitimate way. We know that she conceived him in a proper way. This passage refers to original sin. The fact that from the very moment of conception, he was prone to sin and prone to wander. Incidentally, it's also an incredible verse that helps us realize that conception is the starting place of life for humanity, for humans. From the moment he was conceived, he had a nature, and that nature was a sin nature as all of us have. As the old song says, prone to wander, Lord, I feel it, prone to leave the God I love. We're all prone to sin. We're all able to sin. We all are able to choose ourselves first and foremost instead of God. That's what David's saying and allowed to wander, sin will take you to a place where you're almost unrecognizable. Have you ever heard it said of somebody that's walked away from the Lord, I don't even recognize them anymore. I don't even understand who they are anymore. Because at one point they had this kind of life and this kind of commitment and this kind of uh, way of living and now they're not even recognizable. What they've done is they've walked away from God they've begun to give in to their lower nature, to their sinful nature instead of all that God has called them to. In sin, my mother conceived me. The tragedy of sin is that it moves you so far away from where God wants you and where you ought to be. But the third thing you need to know today is good news. Are you ready for some good news? I mean, this has been a few minutes of bad news right here. The tragedy of sin is no cup of tea. It's not a simple few moments of looking at this. I mean, all of us can identify with this in some way. But here's the good news, that you also need to know the joy of forgiveness. Look in verse 12. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In spite of my sin, in spite of the tragedy of all I've done, in spite of how far I am from you, God, restore to me the joy of your salvation. These words stand out as very, very different from all the other words we've been reading in these first few verses. And now he's talking about joy. It's good news for sinners. It's good news for prodigals. It's good news for those that have been set back from sin. When I read this text, it's like, it's like the sun rising after a night of anguish and heartbreak and sorrow. All of a sudden the sun's coming up and the faithfulness of God and the goodness of God and the compassion of God is there for us. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. Somebody smile. I mean, just smile. Because it gets really good from this point on. David's life is in shambles. The judgment is on him. And all of a sudden, he starts talking about restore to me the joy of your salvation. He says, purify me and I shall be clean. He says, cleanse me and I'll be whiter than snow. He says, the bones you've broken, now they'll rejoice. He says, the sin that separates, you will blot out and remember no more. I mean, you want to be on this side of the picture or you want to be on that side of the picture? Those of us who are still on this side of sin are still in tragedy. Those that have come over to this side of sin because of the mercy of God and because of the compassion of God are experiencing the joy of our salvation. You ever wonder why you may not have joy of your salvation? Joy in the Lord, joy to worship, joy to serve Him. Maybe there's some sin in your life that you have not acknowledged because David says, when you cleanse me, when you wash me clean, when you blot out my transgression, you're restoring the joy of my salvation. Man, what a worship service that would be if all of us were washed and cleansed and the joy of our salvation was restored. That's what it ought to be like because it's available for us every single time we come to God. He's taken from one position, that is separation, to a completely different position, and that is restoration. Now, there's some serious news here that I share with you before I conclude, and that is that sin does have consequences. Even after David repented, he lost that son that was conceived with Bathsheba. And his fear was that he would lose his role as king as Saul before him had lost it. In fact, verse 11 is all about that. David says, do not cast me away from your presence. Do not take your Holy Spirit from me. You see, this Old Testament phrase refers to how God places his spirit upon a king. And it was on King Saul before he sinned and it was on King David from his anointing onward. He wasn't saying, Lord, I'm going to lose my salvation. He was saying, Lord, I'm going to lose the anointing as king you've placed on me. Please do not remove your spirit from me. Now, I'm going to to pause for just a moment and get into the New Testament theology that you need to know. And that is, if Christ is in your life and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of you, you might grieve him and you might quench him, but you will never remove him from your life. God will not remove the Holy Spirit from a true believer in Jesus Christ. And aren't you glad about that? I am thrilled about that. That's important theology for us. But David's fear that everything would just go on the way it was was a well-grounded fear because it didn't go on the way it was. David was restored to God. He had the joy of his salvation restored, but he was never the same as a king. He didn't rule with as much wisdom. He wasn't hard on sin. He didn't uproot wickedness in his kingdom. He became a weaker leader because of the consequence of his sin. And in this text, we understand the consequence of sin, but we also understand that God will forgive us and restore us to a relationship with him. You know what the call to come back is for us? David talks about in verse 17, what kind of sacrifices God doesn't honor, but he also speaks of the sacrifice that God does honor. It's a sacrifice of the heart. Look at what it says, verse 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. It's the sacrifice of the heart, a broken, repentant spirit and heart filled with grief because of sin, just like the prodigal came to himself and cried out towards his father. and His father embraced him. They rejoiced, killed the fatted calf, put the ring back on his finger, the robe around him, restored his son to that relationship. There's one more Psalm that would help us in this time of thinking about coming back from sin. It's in Psalm 32, just a few verses. You see the whole gamut of what's going on. David again, how blessed is he whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. How blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not impute iniquity and whose spirit there is no deceit. When I kept silent about my sin, my body wasted away Through my groaning all day long, for day and night your hand was heavy on me. My vitality was drained away as with the fever of the heat of summer. But I acknowledged my sin to you and my iniquity I did not hide. I said, I will confess my transgression to the Lord and you forgave me the guilt of my sin. Wow. Wow, there's so much more to read there. But that leaves an invitation for you. Not to be the one... Staying out and away from God by the one who comes and says, I confess my sin to you. I ask you to forgive me. I fall upon your mercy, on your kindness, on your compassion, and ask that you restore to me the joy of your salvation. Now, this is the gospel. And this is for us to live out the gospel every day, of knowing that sin has been paid for, that God will forgive us today through the mercy and the blood of Jesus Christ, who died to make all this possible for us. I want you to bow your head for just a moment and close your eyes. I want you to ask yourself this question before I pray. Do I need to confess my sin to God today? Is there something that holds me back, something that presses me down because of the hand of God and the season of sin I've been in? Do I need today to come back to God, throwing myself at His mercy, at His compassion, acknowledging the tragedy of sin and experiencing the joy of forgiveness. And over these next few moments, let this be a time of interaction between you and God. Our counselors are coming to the front. They'll be available as we sing, as we worship. And I encourage you today to join with them in prayer. Ask them the questions you want to ask. Let them pray with you. But today, know the invitation is here for you to come back from sin, to come back from sin, to a place where you stand with the Lord. Father, in Jesus' name today, I thank you for making all this possible. And Lord, I thank you that it's available today through your son, Jesus, that every person in this building will know that today you're speaking to them and you're calling them home. I ask that you let them hear that call and respond in Jesus' name. Amen.